Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. This is show number 49. This interview is with Jeremy Waite, who is in charge of social strategy consulting at Adobe EMEA, with a strong operational background and practice in building and truly implementing social media strategy. Jeremy is also great fun, a man of influence, great talent, and with a genuine smile. You should relish this interview, cut over a glass of wine and delicious cheese. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. Today, I have a special guest. It's Friday afternoon. We have wine and cheese crackers on the table, and we are about to have a lot of fun. So tell us who you are and what do you do, as Mitch always says. Hello. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeremy Waite. I am the head of social consulting at Adobe, and I work out of our Amir office based in London. So I do strategy and an amount of consulting for our clients, obviously based upon the tools that we sell. Well, if you think about Adobe, I mean, for some of us, we might have another experience with Adobe, which might be Flash, which might be uh, PDFs and so on. Yeah, but uh, tell us, uh, surprisingly, Adobe has a whole other segment, which is what you're pioneering. So I joined the company about five months ago um, based upon this new product. So this isn't a salesy thing for the products, but just by way of context, Adobe launched in September a product called Adobe Social, which now makes up this bigger piece that we've got of five products that Adobe has called the Marketing Cloud. And essentially that's come about by Adobe acquiring a series of companies over the last couple of years. Obviously we're a company based in creative and we've got a history of analytics, but we've acquired uh, Context Optional, which is a listening and moderating and a publishing tool. We've acquired Efficient Frontier, which is a very large media company. This has all made its way into Adobe Social. It's, it's the result of just under about $4 billion worth of acquisitions to create mm-hmm. this outstanding tool that does a million different things. So I kind of came to the conclusion that I was going to be talking about this product all day long anyway because I liked it so much. I got the chance to come and work for the company, so they said, you come and do this for us. So I'm Adobe's biggest cheerleader. All right. Well, we're going to get back to that in a moment. But, uh, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about your past and how you got here. Oh, gosh, I don't know how far you want to go back. I'm, I'm at Jeremy Waite on Twitter, and for people that know me, you'll see that I've been a giraffe keeper as well. I have um, an interesting and checkered past. I started off in my dad's printing company, um, the traditional type and, you know, negatives and slicing stuff up. Um, so the real old school print when, I mean, his first computer was the first Mac that came out. So when desktop publishing first arrived um, and all the font management stuff. So I kind of came through print advertising, fell into brand comms. Um, obviously, social media exploded. I got involved in that very early on with companies like Nike, Reebok and MTV. Um, set up my own agency, ran my own agency for a few years, loved part of it, hated other parts of it for all sorts of different reasons. Um, had this idea of being a big agency, entrepreneurial person, Um, and then had other exciting opportunities that kind of came up. I wrote my first book, Sex, Brands, and Rock and Roll, went to be the head of social media at Phones for You, building a presence for them, which was massively exciting. They're still doing amazing stuff. Moved to TBG, which was Facebook's ad agency, the biggest Facebook advertiser in the world. Um, left there middle of last year and came here. Right. Well, so among, apart from liking your sense of humor, 
uh, you, and, and your personality and, and uh, all the stories you tell. You're giraffes. Keeper. I mean, who would have thought? I, that's, that's another thing we share in common because I worked at a zoo. So, God, we have a few other weirdo things we can share. But um, you actually walked the talk. You actually did this operation. So it's a whole lot more exciting to hear a consultant who's been there, done that. So what, what are the lessons that you, you are going to take from your operational experience that you think are, are really vital to being successful in your current role as a, a social media consultancy? So that's, that's a really good question. Um, there's one stat that I kind of always uh, precede uh, answer questions like that with, and, and it's a big stat that's been bounced around quite a few times. I think it came from Harvard Research, but it's been quoted by so many different people. I've kind of lost track of where it came from. It's basically that of all the people that work within social media, we're still an incredibly young industry. 85% have been in the industry less than two years. So that says a whole load of things. Mm -hmm. People haven't messed up enough. They've not been on enough failed campaigns. They think there's one-size-fits-all templates that we've had one successful campaign, therefore we can do it for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's social media consultants all over the place mm -hmm. and ninjas and unicorns and wizards and <laughs> mavens and whatever else it is they want to call themselves, right? Um, but there's a lot of people that haven't got the experience. Mm -hmm. Now, from my point of view, I've spent 10 years brand side and I've only spent a few years agency side. Mm -hmm. And I think, from my point of view, that probably, I think, gives me my biggest advantage, just mm -hmm. that when I'm speaking to clients and brands, you can kind of put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, you know exactly what they're struggling with. You know that meeting at half past nine on a Monday morning, you've been dreading all weekend to justify what's the value of a like on Facebook yeah. to the CEO who may not care about social media. What's the ROI? Exactly, what's the ROI? So we get that all the time, but being able to understand that and do it is completely different. The fact that I had to struggle with those questions before people knew how mm -hmm. to figure out ROI. I did that at Phones for You in a way that we knew exactly what a like was worth. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, this, I mean, this is really definitely of interest, and I don't think people really uh, have cracked the nut. So that's, there's a lot of people that think um, ROI is like this. This, there's this, this nirvana, there's some myth that's floating around and everybody's on this chase to find a silver bullet to figure out ROIs. Uh, this is where Olivier Blanchard, the brand builder, right, yeah, is one of like my Olivier. favorite people in the world. In fact, his book is on my desk. I've been presenting on it this morning. Um, the thing that he talks about ROI that everybody forgets is this has nothing to do with social media. In fact, it's got nothing to do with digital marketing. ROI is exactly the same as it's always been. It's taking the amount of money that you're spending on something, it's taking it away from the amount of money that you've made, divide it by you know, the amount right. you've spent, and you've got an ROI of whatever, 600% for mm -hmm. every one pound you spend, you get six pounds back. That's all ROI is. And Olivier in his book, and this I tell clients this all the time, ROI is not reach metrics. It's not engagement. It's not fan growth. It's not, you know, reducing call center volume. It's not, there's a million things that are important mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of metrics that are very, very important. I mean, there's a bigger question about just because you can measure everything doesn't mean that you should. Right, sure. I try and bring everything down to one number. It's like Moneyball, you know, mm -hmm. it's my favorite film. It's reducing everything down to one number. And for me, that one number is ROI. So find out how you can take everything you spend in social media, figure out how much money that's made in sales, mm -hmm. and then deliver ROI and find that one number. And that's what you need to go to the board with. Everything else hangs off of that. Mm -hmm. The success that I saw in, in previous brands that I've worked with, um, certainly previous clients that have had the most success, have come from them figuring out what that one number is for them. And that's what's allowed them to get the big social media budgets mm -hmm. when they speak to the board. They go away and then do all the cool stuff in social, but when they come back, it's how much did we make? 
like Gary Vaynerchuk is mm-hmm. the number one advocate for social media is amazing because it sells shit. Mm-hmm. Everything else comes secondary. We can be fluffy in community right. and we can do all the wonderful things that social allows us to do, but essentially we're here because we need to make money for That's our clients. For sure. All right, can you give us an example of a, a funnel that comes down that makes it a little bit clearer for how someone else is supposed to grapple this and make that happen for them? Oh my goodness. So that's, that could, that's a couple of weeks worth of consulting right there distilled down into what a couple of minutes. So give us, give us at least an an eyeball in. So the thing is, there's, it it depends who it is that you're working with. Um, I think there's two ways of looking at this. We've got the community side, which is, you know, all about the engagement and we've got the commercial side, which is about the financial metrics, depending on the kind of client. If you're working with an e-commerce retailer, for example, and we've both got experience of working with some good e-commerce retailers, um, there's an end result that we can find that somebody's bought something. Mm-hmm. Adobe's great at that. It's got you know, all the site catalyst data at one end from your website. You can see where the traffic's been driven from Facebook. Obviously, Facebook's now got these ROI metrics when they can allow you to do tracking to figure out from a like what happens right. and when somebody buys and converts. That's really easy. So yeah, that's Pure right. players don't have quite the same challenge as a cross-channel player. Where it gets more exciting. So that's easy to work at ROI because you've got an investment in social, you've got a result in sales. And you can track the one the whole way through. Exactly. And you can get into the space that Amazon are in, that people like, um, people like ASOS okay. are in and Topshop. And you, right. can, you know that a fan is worth, like Dell are fantastic at this. They know to the cent what their fans are worth. Um, I can't tell you what that is, but it's, <laughs> but it's incredible. They know, and they absolutely have got that nailed. Where Three dollars fifty-two. <laughs> where it gets a lot more exciting is when you're in the space of NPS. So in our L'Oreal, Procter, Net Promoter Score, Unilever, Net Promoter Score, which is essentially how likely are you to recommend this product to your friends because you've bought it or because you've had an interaction or an engagement with them. So you buy a phone in a store, and then you may get surveyed four days later. Are you happy with it? Do you like it? Would you tell your friends? Yes, mm-hmm. so on. And you, there's a score that's attributed to that. There's brands starting to do that in social, which is very, very exciting because that's not ROI, but for a particular brand, especially if you're someone like, say, like you're a drinks brand like Budweiser or Coke, you're not going to track sales through your website, mm-hmm. but you need to know if somebody likes your Facebook page, mm-hmm. how much more likely they to go and recommend yeah. that brand to their friends when they're in the pub. Being able to put a figure on that is huge. So for me, if you're an e-commerce retailer, I would hang everything on ROI. I mean, wherever possible. That's For me, that's the holy grail. Um, net promoter score underpinned by strong engagement metrics and still eyeballs and reach. Sure. And, you know, that's, um, that's key. Yeah. So it's really, who is it you're speaking to? What do you want to achieve? Yeah. If you can track sales, ROI. If you can't track sales, let's look at engagement metrics, but with a solid financial, you know, a one number maybe. Social MPS. Well, I mean, even, even in a, for me, when I, the way I work with companies is who typically are larger companies, not necessarily pure players, although they, I have a few of those, is to say, well, you might have something that's of interest to you. You might want to develop an email database. Well, an email, email a qualified email is worth something to you, which you can track, Absolutely. and you can then have that funnel work out, and you have an ROI that's not necessarily related to a sale because you don't do the e-commerce channel, but you have an email address that's qualified, that's worth something, and how you can work that through and, and you can make that conversation allow you to get into uh, making ROI in your digital marketing. Exactly. And I think I'm kind of oversimplifying stuff as if there's just there's one quick answer and yeah. we can just take away sales from the investment. All of that investment is going to come from a lot of different places. 
and all the sales are going to come from lots of different places. Mm -hmm. In fact, I do a presentation quite regularly um, based on Angry Birds and its value in Angry Birds' Facebook page. And it's a little bit of a joke, but it's essentially taking... It's like attribution modelling. You're taking all the different channels that they, that they buy into... And then you're taking all the different revenue streams, whether it's an affiliate, whether it's email, whether it's database, whether it's direct sales through the website or downloads of the game, and then just working that into an ROI model. So you're exactly right. So when we, when we work on ROI for some of the clients here, I want to know what's the value of an email. I need to know that if, if there's a referral that goes through the customer call center that's right. been dragged, providing it's a valid email, mobile, date of birth, there's a value on that. Right. There's data we can pull off Facebook, mm -hmm. providing that you're using that correctly and ethically. Mm -hmm. There's a value we can attribute to mm -hmm. that. There's going to be traffic from affiliates that may have started off in social. There's a value for that. Mm -hmm. And it may be that an email is worth a pound. It may be that someone that goes through the website having filled out a form on Facebook is worth five pounds. Right. It may be that they go through an app and allow access. You know, They log in through Facebook Connect. They may be worth 30 pounds. All of this is incredibly easy to track with the right tools yeah. um, and it also makes it very easy then to justify what you're doing in social because the, right. the biggest problem in social is that we all know it's incredibly exciting, yeah. we know that there's a scale we know there's a million people out there that we can talk to, it, it's very hard to justify it and I yeah. think that's the biggest thing people know it's worth something, they just struggle to figure out what that value is yeah. they can't prove it yeah. Yeah. Right, So let's talk about your dealing with Adobe and, and clients you're you're in there, and what what is the what are the biggest hurdles that you are coming across when you go into companies and say, listen, well, let's help you out with the social media? What do you what sort of the top ones for you? That's a really really good question, and this is something that consultants and brands and agencies are all going to relate to straight away. Social being incredibly young, um, we've got a slightly different view at Adobe because Adobe's historically a digital marketing business, so they've been around thirty years. They've been doing this a long time. Social has been around, you know. Really, 10 years. Um, you know, Facebook launched properly in 2004. It's, it's not really been around that long. And what's happening is there's a lot of incredibly young, not massively skillful, you know, without being disrespectful, people that are young engagement managers, they've been community managers, they've worked up, they're now head of social, no business background, copywriters, journalists. The biggest challenge that you've got in trying to sell ROI into a business when social is genuinely the heart of the business and you know that social, I hate the word social media, if you look at social business, there's implications across operations and customer service and marketing and commercial, all sorts of other departments, call center. The biggest problem you've got is you're often just speaking to a head of social media or you're speaking to a head of digital. What you should be speaking to is a CMO, CEO, CFO. Now, they only speak a certain language and they only get excited about certain metrics they're probably not excited about how many fans you've got on Facebook and what your reach is and how many people are talking about you. But they are interested in ROI, mm -hmm. call center volume, you know, mm -hmm. customer resolutions, net promoter score. Mm -hmm. those, exactly. Those, yeah, so social media makes money and saves money. Mm -hmm. The thing that people miss is that social media is actually better at saving money than it is at making money. And that's where the big budgets come from. So the biggest challenge, in my mind, is speaking to the people that matter operationally within the business mm -hmm. as opposed to social being confined to the, you know, the, the, the cool kids in the corner that just want to make really pretty Facebook apps and do right. cool YouTube And who, who have another challenge, which is they're not credible, as you were saying, because they don't have the business experience, when trying to proselytize inside the company towards the, the top management. So there's a fantastic article that you can probably find on, um, on Marketing Week. Mark Ritson wrote it. Um, I think it was right at the back end of November. The biggest issue that a lot of marketers have got is based on trust. 
we're going in with all these metrics arguing about point percentages here and we can try and, you know, it's all marginal gains. What you've got to realize is that the industry that we're in, we're so blinkered, we've got a certain view. But people that aren't in marketing have a completely different view of what it is that we do. And Mark Ritson put this perfectly. He was describing interbrand and Millwood Brown, you know, the mm -hmm. brands report. Sure. So once a year, brands are valued based upon the equity that they've got, the intangibles. Mm -hmm. So what's Coca-Cola worth? What's mm -hmm. their brand equity mm -hmm. worth? And they valued Apple. And the thing that stood out the most was that you had Millwood Brown, an interbrand that tried to value Apple, and they were, I can't remember the exact number, but there was a $100 million difference mm -hmm. between the value of the, it was, it was ridiculous. There was, the one was however many billion, and it was, the other one was incredibly low. The issue that you've got is that marketers are selling all of these numbers, and we're trying to say that we're fantastic and we can track all these really small metrics. I think that you've got CEOs, like Mark Ritson said, looking at what we do and saying, you guys can't even agree within $100 million on what a company's worth. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a billion dollars for this and half a billion dollars for that, and it's all over the place because you can't track it properly. That's the biggest problem, that there's all of these metrics. People are saying different things. Everyone's interpreting ROI as being something different. The value of a fan, Syncats came out years ago and said a fan was worth $186. Mm -hmm. Like... It's the same figure for every company. That's absolutely not the case, absolutely. right? And I think that's the biggest problem. It's trust and credibility. Yeah. And we need to gain trust and credibility within a business by proving this is what you did, this is what it was worth, this is why it changed lives, this is why Share of Voice drove this many people to go and do something positive with your brand, charity, organization, whatever. Right. So we've been talking about trust, and if you look at a number of uh, polls, Gallup and, and so on, whether it's France, where I happen to know a lot, or, or in the States, most recently in November there was a poll, leadership is highly poorly viewed in terms of trust. So CEOs, I don't have a high trust barometer. Marketers don't have a high trust barometer as opposed to so many others. So. One of the, the, the questions I have for you is, all right, so you got your brand, and we're going to discuss about how you can get your fans and engagement and so on. What about the presence of the CEO on social media? To what extent do you think that's relevant in, in, a, in an effort to try and improve their trust ranking? So I think there's a couple of things there. I think um, that's a really good question, and this is fantastic cheese. It is good. <laughs> <laughs> I think the CEO is going to be crucial. Everything's got to come from the top down. The, the, one of the biggest problems with social marketing at the moment is that it starts from the bottom up. You know, it's kind of the, it's the Simon Sinek school of marketing, right? People don't buy why? what you do. They buy why you do it. People buy from people that they believe. You know, there's a, there genuinely is some kind of spiritual element to what people are doing, what brands are doing. That's got to come from the top down. Um, and also, this, this idea that social media is too important to be just kind of refined to the, the marketing department, that's got to come from the CEO. And if he doesn't believe that, or she, or she if they don't believe that that's culturally in the DNA of the business, then social media will forever just be, you know, the, a, a small Facebook page and a marketing extension. Yeah, it will be an extension of brand comms. And they'll try and they'll constantly try to weasel more budget from TV to push into social. And one will say, I'm more important than you and my eyeballs are more valid than yours. And, and that's it. But when you look at social media saving money as well, then there's a huge play operationally. I think the thing that CEOs are excited about, certainly when you're a brand, and a brand obviously being what exists in somebody's mind, is you're building a community of people which is going to be based on loyalty, and there's a long tail, and there's not necessarily a direct sale associated with that. Now, obviously, as social marketers, we'd like that tail mm -hmm. to be as short as possible, mm -hmm. but 
You know, it wasn't that long ago we said that it's hard to figure out what ROI is. Gary Vaynerchuk, when he first came out, had no idea how to figure out ROI. So he said, what's the ROI of your mum? Exactly. How do you put a value in a relationship? Mm -hmm. There's still an element of that that is still true. Mm -hmm. We are here to build relationships, and CEOs want to build relationships with their customers. Lifetime value of a customer is going to be longer because they love you. It's like Kevin Roberts with next door but one to Saatchi down the road. Mm -hmm. This idea of you need to have an emotional connection with mm -hmm. your customer mm -hmm. because people buy with their hearts and right. they justify with their heads. Absolutely. And people on Facebook are no different. People share emotions. They don't share facts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's got to come from the DNA of the business, which mm -hmm. has got to be driven by the CEO. And that's what inspires people mm -hmm. when you've got a business that genuinely stands for something. Um, there was a quote that I'm going to try and find a Guy Kawasaki quote that I was talking about before. It was about don't sell. I'm going to find it for you. It's right. about we need to find meaning. We don't need to find – we're not making sales. We're not making products, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll find, find out. What, we'll yeah. put it in the show notes Absolutely. about what exactly that quote was. A fan, I only heard it about 45 minutes right. ago. It was a brilliant, brilliant quote. But it was about find meaning in what you do and sell that. And then everything else that's wonderful is going to come off the back of it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm all over that. Listen, um, what I know that you are a man all, you know, working on, on a, a lot of projects. Uh, you have a book that you're working on. Mm -hmm. I want you to tell us about your book and, and what it means for you. In a, in a non-salesy way, and I can say this is a non-salesy way because I have, I actually have no intention of being an author. I didn't really want to be an author. Well, you are already. You've got one. But I, exactly. But I, again, I, I kind of fell on top of that in the same way that I didn't originally grow up wanting to be a giraffe keeper. <laughs> Just things transpire <laughs> and exciting things happen and life takes you where it takes you. And I love that. I love the spontaneity of life and yeah. exciting and, and things. For me, it was the journey. So I was, I, I've been a massive Steve Jobs fan my whole life. And he always used to talk about the thing that he loved most about Apple was where you've got this intersection of humanity and tech. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the, the battle between art and science. And there's something beautiful about that, mm -hmm. that you've got this amazing technology that we're all privileged to be in this, this generation mm -hmm. of seeing this happen right now, right on the edge of it. But then you've got people and you've got community and you've got lives being changed through social interactions. So, I mean, we won't get into the whole Arab Spring thing and all that kind of stuff, but you've got social, which is genuinely changing the entire way that the world operates. Mm -hmm. So we're in an incredibly exciting time. And I just wanted to try and document some of that. And I love the idea, like Steve talks about, you know, the journey is the reward. I thought if I write some kind of a book because I'm rubbish at finishing things, I'll give myself a deadline and have something tangible. And even if my mum's the only person that buys it, then that's great. And it was fantastically rewarding, having my book and holding it and being able to flick through. Yeah, so Sex, Brands and Rock and Roll was a lot of fun, and I self-published, having heard Seth Godin talk about the way the publishing industry is changing. In fact, it was on a Mitch Joel interview when he was talking about that. Mm -hmm. so, so what I decided to do with the way that social media is changing at the moment is there's a lot of social media books, and there's a lot of incredible authors. Brian Solis is one of my favorite writers. Um, but a lot of these books live in social and it's social media people that read them. What I wanted to do was there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. There's a lot of people that want to get into business. There's, there's hairdressers that want to go and have a franchise. There's people that you know, are working in an office that they sure. want to get out and do their own thing. They're not necessarily social people. They're not tech people, but they could absolutely be inspired by the people that set up the networks, which right. we take for granted. So the idea behind my book, it's called Follow Me and Right Behind You. 
with the subtitle leading from the middle of the pack. And the idea is what happens when a CEO or a founder gets down from the top of the tree, like the Tony Shays of the world and the Blake Mykoskis at Tom's, and they get down in the trenches. Or undercover boss. Exactly. And they come and talk about what does it mean to mix it up with the community and to actually see what's happening on the front line. So my book's 100 chapters. It's the top 100 people who have created the social web. Um, I'm not doing it in terms of who's the most influential or who's the most important. I'm doing it in terms of who I think is the most interesting. According to Jeremy Wade. Exactly. Who's got a good story to tell? I want to hear about Ben Silberman when he was struggling to set up Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And on Wednesday night, they were having meetings of how to make sure the servers don't fall over on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And he had 5,000 numbers in his phone and 5,000 emails on his desktop that were the first 5,000 that signed up to Pinterest. The personal relationship he had Mm -hmm. with them, trying to shape it and figure Mm -hmm. out what it was. The struggles Jack Dorsey had when he was setting uh, setting up Twitter. Kevin Sinstrom at Instagram and kind of where Cheryl... Sandberg brings a different angle to Facebook. So there's a lot of really, really compelling stories in that that have nothing to do with social. They're just great people stories. And I think there's something to be said of the guy on the street could relate to that. Mm -hmm. And there could be stuff they could be inspired by through social media that may help them be encouraged to go and set up their own Mm -hmm. business and their new job and Mm -hmm. go and be entrepreneurial in a different area. So I'm kind of being the DJ that remixes a lot of stuff that's already out there, but I've also been quite privileged to interview a bunch of these people. Well, I mean, you're writing your own story too, by the way. Um, Well, a little bit. Yeah, I'd like to think so. There's definitely some exciting things going on over here. But like we said before, we're living in an incredibly exciting time. Um, And I just think it's cool to document that, whether that's by way of looking back. I mean, we talk about stories all the time, and I know you've got some great stories to tell. Um, I just think of having a record that you can hang your hat on something. Yeah. I would love that to be a reference that my most 100 interesting people will publish that to Twitter. You can follow those guys and be inspired by them. And let's do it again in, yeah. you know, 2013, 2014, 2015. Yeah, so uh, when will the book um, come out, do you think? That's a good question. Um, there's, so I had a, a, an official publishing deal and then... Again, listening to Seth Godin, looking at the self-publishing thing, I thought, you know what? For something to be truly social, I want to give it away for free mm-hmm. because I have no, I have no agenda. I, I didn't particularly want to make a, a bunch of – you don't make that much money from social media no, books anyway. <laughs> books in general for most of us. So I thought, well, we'll do pay with a tweet. So I think what I'm going to do is the book's going to be available for free. Um, I'm going to self-publish the book. There's going to be a beautiful, glossy coffee table version of it with some fantastic infographics and gorgeous photos. That's going to be available for whatever, 25, I think it's 27 pounds or something. Um, It's planning on coming out in Q2 this year, which is probably going to be sometime at the end of spring. And the reason I've done that is because of South by Southwest. Mm. There's a lot of exciting people I'm going to go and speak to. Mm -hmm. So I think that's... want to integrate them into the... Exactly, yeah. And, it's, and things are changing so fast, I need to put a deadline on it. So I should absolutely not have this as a personal project that just runs on and on and on. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So I'll be out in the spring. Uh, we can put a link in the notes to where that link's going to yeah. be available from. And, um, and yeah, I'd like people to, to just share it and just enjoy it. Right, well, I'll be part of that for sure. So, um, Jeremy, you, you are a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the sites that you would recommend? A couple of the best. We've n- mentioned a few already, but what are the great sites that inspire you and, and you, you feel you learn from? Oh, gosh, you've put me on the spot now. Right. We will drop a load of these in the show notes. Um, I'm a strategist, so... There's a lot of incredibly geeky sites. There's about 52 blogs that I log into every morning. Um, I use Flipboard um, religiously just because it helps me consume information. Twitter's getting a lot better at being my main news source. Mm-hmm. But you, th- why not Zeit? 
Um, I tried, Zai. There was just something about the interface. There was something about the UI that I just couldn't get hold of. I love Flipboard. I actually enjoy reading Twitter um, on Flipboard. I think that's a really nice experience. But I'm a big fan, absolutely. I'm a big fan of sites like Harvard Business Review, um, of Forrester and Gartner, and kind of the old-school research companies, people like Comscore, that have... You know, fantastic white papers on all these great things that are happening on the web, but giving hardcore evidence about why stuff's happened. Because yeah, um, they really curate their information. It's just not just spammed out there. Exactly. I, I used to love Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast was one of my favorites when he was Wine Library TV. I wish he did more of that, but he's making money with VaynerMedia. Sure. Brian Solis, Olivier Blanchard, the brand builder. Again, two fantastic blogs. All the guys at Altimeter, you know, Charlene Lee and Jeremiah, Jeremiah Young. Absolutely love those guys to death. Um, Fast Company, um, the Brand Republic, e-consultancy. I'm more than happy to give you my daily reading list. I read about three books a week. Well, I think one of the easiest things we can do is just follow you, and and then whatever you tweet out, that's what we need to read. Yeah, and I think that this isn't all about being on the cutting edge and seeing all the new stuff as well. I think the thing that we miss, I was talking to James Watley from Ogilvy last night, a, a little thing, and we were talking about David Ogilvy from the stuff that he did in the 60s, and there's a fantastic video of him evangelizing about direct response advertising when that, this was like new to everyone. That was like the social media right. in, the, in the 60s and early 70s. Um, and there's still a lot to be learned from that. This is no different to years and years ago. Email is social media. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The direct response in some respects was social well, media. Word of mouth is social media, I mean, exactly. and it's base. Um, David Ogilvy all the time used to talk about long copy adverts, telling stories, you know, she's not a consumer, she's your wife. Mm-hmm. He'd get his copywriters to spend 60% of their time writing a headline and not mm-hmm. writing all the copy and the blurb underneath. Mm-hmm. Social media is struggling with exactly the same things that marketers were struggling with 50 years ago. So I kind of split my time with half of it looking at the new guys that are doing amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Gladwell and Godin and Brogan and all those guys as well, um, Jason Falls. But then I also love looking back to, you know, the, the old, kind of the madmen, you know, not through rose-tinted right. nostalgic glasses, but looking at the Ogilvies of yeah. the world. and you know, old management has its, has its value. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, Jeremy, how can someone track you down, follow you if they uh, don't know how to use Google? I, <laughs> I'm on... Or spell wait. I'm on Twitter, uh, Jeremy Waits, W-A-I-T-E. Um, I'm in love with my blog, which I, doesn't exist to have all sorts of people reading it. I just love curating cool stuff and finding things. I have a Tumblr, which is jeremywaite.tumblr.com. Um, Pinterest and Instagram, uh, again, just Jeremy Waite. The thing that I'm most excited about, which only came out last night, um, I'm really excited about Vine. Oh, yeah. I've not even done my first Vine yet. In fact, we may need to do it of our cheese board. I, I'm going to be with you. I, I've, I've downloaded the app. I haven't used it yet. The idea of six seconds is incredibly exciting. I know that when Obama did his first campaign, um, Chris Hughes, who was one of the founders of Facebook, did some research with Harvard to find out the average attention span of someone's less than five seconds. I think that you've got six-second videos now, five, six-second videos. You've got to be incredibly creative to find out what's going to be compelling content for six seconds. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I think this genuinely could be the next Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. people love Instagram mm-hmm. because they curate cool stuff. They had a filter. They've created something. It's quick and digestible. This is absolutely Twitter's answer to that. So it, it's a good play. You can see the politics between, you know, you've got Facebook, Instagram, you've got Twitter and Vine. There's obviously a thing going on there, but incredibly exciting. Well, uh, Jeremy, this uh, you know, I don't know if you uh, listened to Marketing Over Coffee, but maybe we're going to be uh, inaugurating a Marketing Over Cheese. <laughs> Lovely to have you on board. I uh, appreciate it. Looking forward to following you. Fantastic. Thank you for having me.
Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.